0: Before we start this episode, I'd like to thank MSI and StormFX for supporting the creative community and helping make this episode possible. My name's Matthew Packwood and welcome to Masters of Motion. Each episode I'll be talking to some of Australia's and New Zealand's leading motion design, animation and visual effects artists. Today I'll be chatting with legendary creative director Diana Costantini. Diana started her career in the 80s at Channel 10 Brisbane where she developed her passion for design and post-production. In 1994, she became the creative director of XYZ Networks, where she developed and launched some of Australia's leading and well-known cable TV broadcast brands. Diana also had a successful stint as CD at Global Media Holdings in New York. In the early 2000s, Diana launched her own design agency, Tactic Creative, which was highly successful over 12 years and won many awards. For nearly a decade at the ABC, Diana has successfully creative directed an epic stable of well-loved brands. I'm excited about this one, Diana. Let's get into it. righty. Thanks very much, Diana, for sharing your experience with us.
1: Thank you, it'll be fun.
0: What should a good CV and cover letter include?
1: If you're applying for a job as a designer, you need to make sure that your CV looks really sharp. So great typography, yep. good spelling, grammar, punctuation. You know, you don't have to write lots and lots about yourself, so keep it fairly brief would be my advice around a great CV and cover letter.
0: So when you say brief, do you mean like two pages, one for the letter and one for the CV?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't sort of extend beyond two or three pages max.
0: Do you like people to measure their experience on their software by putting a little number or do you prefer not to have that?
1: It's always a really good kind of early indicator.
0: Cool. When you're looking to employ a motion designer, What attributes are you looking for?
1: A lot of designers have done work with corporates, so it's really great to see how they adhere to strict brand guidelines and style guides. But I also like to see personal work. Yep. As a leader of a large team, I'm always looking for people who are going to be the right cultural fit for us as well, as making sure that they've got a great... Aesthetic, so personality is important personal taste is important okay so i like to see on top of the sort of corporate work that people have done and the ability to follow briefs and style guides but i also like to see personal design aesthetics with that as well
0: with a website do you like to have a website or do you like to um just check out their showreel on vimeo
1: We've interviewed lots of people who have done it both ways. I'm quite comfortable either way. Yeah. As long as it's succinct and people aren't asking us to go in search of their content, so they kind of laid out quite well and easy for us, then I don't mind either way.
0: What's your average punter wear to an interview these days? And what level of dress do you recommend for the interview?
1: We've recently gone through quite a series of interviews, and my team and I have been really blown away by uh, what people wear to interviews. So we're a really relaxed team. Most of us wear jeans and trainers and T-shirts or whatever, but when you're going into an interview, it's probably best if you kind of keep it a bit sharper than just kind of trainers and and jeans for the interview. So just make sure everything's kind of a little bit sort of above how you normally roll every day. Yeah, Dress up a little bit, make a bit of an effort, make sure you're on time, all of those sort of very basic things.
0: What about knowing about the ABC? Is that important?
1: It's an interesting one, Matthew, because, uh, again, a lot of people come in and you, you sort of ask the question, oh, what media do you consume or what do you watch on TV? Yep. And the amount of times that people respond to us by saying, oh, I don't really watch TV, and straight away you sort of think, well, that's that's completely the wrong answer because even if you don't, you need to sort of have done some level of homework and researched.
0: So research is important?
1: Research is really important. We often get people come for interviews and you ask them the question what have you watched on TV lately what what do you love consuming yep. what media are you into? If you're applying for a job you've got to actually love the business that you're about to um, hopefully go and work for.
0: Okay well what should have they have done?
1: Even if they've just gone online checked out what we're doing and able to refer to some of that and give us a position on that that's really important.
0: Cool. And a freelance interview is a bit different to a full-time interview. What do you expect from a good freelance candidate?
1: The difference being is that we're looking for skills at that point. So oftentimes the freelancer will come in and they'll be needing to help just get work out the door. So at that point, it's kind of, you know, the churn and burn type stuff. It's really rare that we pull a freelancer in at the beginning of the design project because we tend to... To want to make sure that our full-time design team get the cream jobs if you like they get to work on the conceptual stuff and the nice really you know juicy stuff so um, unfortunately for freelancers that generally means bringing them in at the other end when it's just kind of process type stuff
0: do you have a large turnover of freelancers and any tips for freelancers
1: Well, we have uh, quite a good database of freelancers now that we've built up over the years across all areas of design and production. So, we usually hit up our preferred suppliers or or freelancers. So, we know who we're working with most of the time. The tricky thing for any studio, I think, is uh, people being available when you need them to be available. And obviously, if people are really great at what they do, they're generally booked. So, it's sort of having a really great sort of timeline and a producer on the project who can say, okay, well, look, he's booked now or she's booked now, but let's get them in at this time further down the track. Yeah. So um, we tend to go back to the people we know if we can to ensure that we get the job done. And
0: the tips for being a good
1: freelancer? So fast and efficient, reliable, able to work through problems really quickly yep. and able to churn really is, is important for a freelancer. Cool.
0: Thinking about interviews now, as you become more senior, how should your approach change to your job interview?
1: Look, I'd always suggest crafting your folio or or whatever it is that you're presenting to suit whoever it is that you're talking to as much as possible. So, so I'd suggest sort of possibly showing a case study. So, it may not be the final result right up front, but talking the person through how you got to where you got to, the challenges along the way and how you overcame those challenges is really sort of important. So, it's kind of how you got to the end results.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I
1: also think it's important in a sort of more senior level that you're able to actually quantify um, the success of the project. Yeah. So, it's not about, oh, look, I did something and it looks really pretty. It's actually about, look, we we actually achieved this and, and here's how we impacted an audience, for example. Cool.
0: Any advice for people who want to become creative directors?
1: If you're aspiring to be a creative director, the best thing to do would actually be to find a creative team that you can join and work with for years and really sort of, you know, prove yourself and you know sharpen your skills as much as you possibly can and then work your way into a cd role from there it's always very difficult i think um going into a cd's role if you've never had exposure to a creative team obviously so that would be the recommendation is just find a great team and stick with it and do a fantastic job
0: so what are the things that you shouldn't do in an interview
1: Never assume that you know too much about someone else's business. So,
0: that's interesting.
1: You know, there's nothing sort of more off putting than if you're sitting beside or opposite someone and they're telling you how you should run your business without really kind of understanding the the context, you know, deeply enough to uh, provide that feedback. Yeah. So it, it's about finding that balance, really. You want to know the business really well, so you know what you're talking about. You want to have done your homework, but you can't assume to know too much. So it's really around the ability to read the room okay. and offer a perspective and an opinions, but yeah, not necessarily assume too much, I guess. Cool.
0: I think that's really great. When you were growing up, what inspired you and what were you interested in?
1: Yeah, see, this is where I get really uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like talking about and myself, Matt. Kylie Minogue. <laughs> yeah, love Kylie uh, still. Um, look, i I grew up in uh, I grew up with an Italian heritage, so I grew up fairly passionate about certain things, I suppose, and and I express myself passionately still to this day. Uh, lots of hand gestures and swearing.
0: Sounds familiar.
1: But I grew up on a farm and at a very early age in my life, I knew that that's not where I wanted to be. So my aspirations um, from a, uh, from a young girl were to get to the city as fast as possible, which my family and I laugh about a lot. And so my family have all stayed in Queensland and I, I bailed out really early and as you know, went and lived in New York for a period of time and have lived in big cities ever since. Yep. So my inspiration creatively comes from being very observant. I just love looking at stuff around me, really. And I, I'm i a big consumer of media. I love books. Yep. And for a period of time, uh, particularly before sort of internet days, I guess that's where the inspiration came from, you know, and I... Yep. I had a very close relationship with Ariel Bookstore in Sydney where I just kind of, anytime a new book had hit the stores, I it had my name on it and I'd just go and pick it up.
0: What are a couple of your favourite books, the ones you'd go back to?
1: I've got a shelf um, upstairs that is just teething with books really and I I look at them all, but particularly photography. I love photography books. Yep. And I look at the old broadcast design books now and they're really dated and daggy, so they kind of don't offer any inspiration for me these days, but photography certainly does. Cool.
0: Personal books like Jane Austen or anything? (laughs) Jane Austen.
1: Um, (laughs) Well, that's my
0: wife's a big Jane Austen fan. Anyway.
1: uh, what, as in novels? You're novels. Thinking? I'm trying to... Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, look, I, I don't have a lot of time to read because I have three children and yeah. pretty full-on job. But I have, you know, with coronavirus, yeah. um, have been staying in a fair bit more. So, Christian White is an author out of Melbourne, I think, and he's a new author and he's just uh, released his second novel, which is brilliant. Yeah. But. Boy Swallowed Universe is just absolutely, I just love that book because it's set in Brisbane. It's set in an era that I grew up in Brisbane. It talks about things that were iconic to me at the time, restaurants that I knew, and it's beautifully crafted. It's just a magical book. So I can hardly recommend that one.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I've been reading this book. Oh, what the hell's her name? Alan Garner. Okay. But yeah, it's all about living in Ascot Vale. Yeah. And I, I thought I wouldn't be an Alan Garner fan, but because she was in the locations where I know and lived,
1: Yeah, it's good, isn't it, when you can relate so closely?
0: Yeah, and the time period. Like, she was talking about the time when I was, like, in my early 20s, which, you know, I enjoyed that period and reminisce. Yeah. Have you been watching any good television lately?
1: I have to watch pretty much everything that the ABC does from a drama perspective. It's not that oh, I have to, gonna, but I have...
0: Uh, yeah, funny. look,
1: I, I watch everything that the ABC produces drama-wise yeah. and there's some brilliant drama on the ABC. So I watch a lot of ABC content, which doesn't leave a lot of room for anything else, but... How about the streaming channels? If I had to highlight a non-ABC program, Succession was brilliant, uh, Sex Education on... Yeah. Uh, Netflix is brilliant, Uh, Stranger Things brilliant, I mean, you know, loving what everyone else loves. The only thing I will say is I'm not a Game of Thrones fan, which I think is probably I might be the only person in the world that doesn't love Game of Thrones. That's true. Why don't you like it? It's way too violent for me. I used to be into sort of rougher and tougher stuff before I had children, but after children I've kind of become such a wuss that now it's sort of a lot softer, really, and and got is too hard for me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Give us an ABC one, one of your dramas that you think stands out.
1: Well, you know, I'm going to start sounding like a promo, a walking promo, but Mystery Road is fantastic. Cool. It's just, you know, it's beautifully crafted and it's on iview now, folks. So, um, see, I told that's you enough. I'd start Stop to it. sound like a promo. <laughs> Stop it.
0: Uh, all right, that's really cool. Uh,
1: can I also can oh, I also? Can, say, we're gonna... now you've got me started about the ABC. <laughs> Yeah. Can I also say that, you know, obviously the podcasts on the ABC are just brilliant and there's lots of fantastic podcasts that um, I just listen to all the time.
0: I listen to Chat 10 Look 3, is it? Yep. Which uh, I've yep. gotten into lately. Yep. Do you have anyone in particular?
1: Judith Lucy has just dropped a new podcast, which I'm loving. Okay. Overwhelmed and Dying, it's called, and it's really good. It's quite funny. Yep. And I also listen to sort of, you know, media, design, podcasts. So,
0: a- any just ones you could rattle off your head?
1: Creative Review, Design Matters, Recode Media. Uh, yeah, they're just a few that I really like. Ted's always good for a, a listen. Cool.
0: Briefly describe your career path. How did you start working in TV and then specialise into producing and creative direction?
1: I stumbled into television in the 80s and I guess I've never really ventured far away from it ever since. So I I grew up in Brisbane and that's where I worked for the early part of my career at Channel 10 or back then it was known as TVO. Okay. And it was really great learning ground and it gave me exposure to all sorts of areas of the broadcast business. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I thought I wanted to be a journalist. So I ended up in the newsroom for a period of time working as a DA or director's assistant. And I fundamentally did a very, very bad job at that. Um, So (laughs) I sort of stumbled out of the newsroom really and, and eventually fell into promos where I sort of stayed for many years after that.
0: And then what happened after that?
1: Falling into promos was great because I figured out very quickly that I could craft 30-second stories and write scripts and rewrite scripts and edit media and re-edit media and add graphics and add sound effects and put out a very polished 30 seconds or 60 seconds or whatever the duration would be. So that post-production process of making something as good as I could possibly make it was one that really, really interested me. Okay that's where I started to fall in love with post-production and making sure, you know, you could craft really polished messages. Yeah, And, of course, over the years I've had to let go of um, that need to polish all the time because nowadays it's just more churn and burn. Yeah. And then I bounced around Primo departments in Australia for a while before heading over to New Zealand. Yep to work for TV3 and then TVNZ. Okay. And this was my first foray into management. So I led a team of promo producers over at TVNZ. Yep. And part of the remit was also to lead the media or presentation or pres teams. Okay. So I gained at that point a really great understanding of audiences and how to target them and the effectiveness of making great spots and making sure that they're put in the right place to get to the right audience. So that was kind of opening up my experience again at that point. Cool.
0: After you left New Zealand, what was coming up next?
1: I went into a really pivotal role at that point, which was my first role as a creative director, and I worked for XYZ Entertainment. Yep. And XYZ were uh, setting up the first pay television channels in this country at the time. So my role um, as a creative director was to create the brands. Okay. Okay. So, we didn't have any brands at that point. So, um, we know we've got a whole pile of factual content over here. So, we need a documentary brand. We know we've got an entertainment sort of uh, stack of content over here. So, give us an entertainment brand. So, it was literally creating brands from scratch. Yeah. At that time, we didn't have a team to do that. So, very, very quickly, I had to bring in a design team, a promo team, an on-air presentation team. Okay. And we worked 24-7 to push out brands that, to this day, I'm still really proud of. That work was just um, really fantastic.
0: Yeah. It was amazing, sort of fertile ground to do good work at that opportunity.
1: It was, actually. We we had an opportunity to be very experimental. Our mandate was very much to create brands that were different to the free-to-wear channels. And nobody had ever done that in this country before. So we were given license, really, to be very creative in how we approach these brands, the tone of voice of the brands, yep, our overall expression. And there was some really great creativity that came out of those early days of pay television.
0: So XYZ, they were producing the brands for Foxtel.
1: Not initially. Foxtel weren't in the market at that point, but they ultimately ended up on Foxtel. Yeah.
0: I was working in Sydney around then and that was an amazing time. Uh, <laughs> uh, I remember that, but yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, what's next?
0: After you left XYZ, what happened next?
1: I was really fortunate in being given an opportunity to work as a creative director for a startup in New York. Okay. It was quite convoluted. It was the Australian working in New York, producing television channels for distribution in Japan. Wow which is really weird. So we were producing two brands uh, from New York. Uh, one was a sci-fi channel and one was a woman's channel called SheTV. Yep. And we had Japanese advisors and, again, we had to create these brands from scratch. And what did
0: that unusual experience teach you?
1: For me, it really extended my skills as a creative director and, and I guess the greatest learning for me throughout that period of time was was having to take my own personal likes, dislikes and ways of thinking out of the equation because, of course, when you're crafting any messaging or creative or brands for an international market, you can't go in and assume you know that market. So it was very much about relying on the advice of advisors that we were working with at the time to tell us whether we were kind of uh, creating work that was right for their market, really. So localization was really important and trying to sort of, as I say, almost kind of step back from everything I'd known and, yep. and developed over the years and really just think about the audience first and foremost.
0: Once you finished in New York, what happened between now and then?
1: New York was a really important time for a whole pile of reasons. It was great experience to work overseas in an international market. Yeah but also it was the time that I decided I was going to start my own agency. At the time in America and indeed now, there's lots of boutique agencies that um, exist to uh, service broadcast and entertainment clients. And I knew loosely that that's what I wanted my business to do. So I was able to do a bit of research while I was over there and speak to a few people who were very generous with their time and giving me some advice about how to sort of start a business. And I was also able to... um, I guess lure or coerce the people that I was working with in New York to be my first client. Cool. So when I came back to Australia and set up my business, I retained those guys as my client. Yeah. And that gave me kind of a bit of a launch pad, if you like, for what became Tactic Creative. Okay. And I kind of started with a nice client, which was good.
2: You
0: came back from New York and then you moved into your bedroom and started Tactic. Yeah. Uh, And then how many years did that run for? And then how did you end up at the ABC?
1: New York to Newtown in Sydney. And that's where I set up Tactic out of my bedroom. And we were working with freelancers and had freelance producers and also, of course, working with freelance designers. Yep. And Tactic ran that way for a period of time, probably over a year before we had sort of several retainer clients. And I was able to actually move into a building and start recruiting people full time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you describe your design agency tactic, the size, the service offering, the type of projects that you worked on and the clients?
1: Tactic offered a 360 agency style service for entertainment industry clients, so mainly broadcast clients. And our services included kind of planning and creative development of new shows or content or key art for new shows, for example, broadcast design, branding, print design, digital design. We also cut trailers. That was a big part of the business. So, promos and trailers and campaigns for launches. But in addition to that, we did sort of strategic planning and marketing for clients as well.
0: What about your NG work?
1: Worked for many years in this country with National Geographic. So I was consulting as their creative director for a long time. Yep. But also ended up working with the creative teams around the world for Nat Geo. Yep. Worked with Universal Networks in the UK, Discovery Channel uh, Networks in Asia, and then locally we worked with a whole range of clients from sort of Foxtel to SBS, ABC, movie network channels. At our peak, we had quite a broad range of clients. And we staffed up as we needed to, but we kind of ended up having about 12, I think, full-time employees at the end. And then we sort of staffed up as we needed people beyond that.
0: How long were you running TACTIC?
1: Tactic ultimately ran for 12 years and I ran the business for 10 years and then I moved across to the ABC after 10 years, which was a really difficult decision to walk away from your own business. Yeah. Um, But it was also a really exciting opportunity that I just couldn't let go.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about how you got the job at the ABC?
1: We were asked to pitch for ABC3, which was their tween channel, and I think they asked about 17 broadcast design agencies in Australia and around the world in fact to pitch for this business. So wow. I came back and said to the team at Tactic, if we're going to take this pitch on, we really need to give it our all and we did. And as you know, pitching when you've got a small agency is really tricky. It's very, very expensive and there's no guarantees.
0: Can I just jump in there and say mm. like is it, don't you think that's outrageous that they asked seventeen people to pitch? Were they paid pitches for those seventeen?
1: They were not paid pitchers and the answer to the first question is yes. I feel like having been on both the sort of agency side as well as the client side, I have a lot more respect for the agency side of the business and I would never, as a creative director, ask that many people to pitch, ever. Yep. It's outrageous and I don't think it's fair and pitching is so, not only stressful of course, but it's also financially not viable for a lot of small Businesses so and uh,
0: the the margins and the the size of the budgets in broadcast design are just so small that pitching and
1: getting smaller
0: pitching seemed outrageous to me and in the end I like just stopped doing it altogether and changed my complete approach to that which I've talked about on other podcasts.
1: A lot of design agencies at the time in Sydney had decided that they weren't going to. Uh, do free pitches anymore. And I remember the time when we all got together and had a chat about that so that we could actually just say, okay, well, here's a benchmark. Yeah. Um, if we all kind of stick to that, then that's it's going to be the way forward.
0: It's a real shame that didn't keep going.
1: Yeah. Of course, you only need one or two that don't do that and it sort of all falls apart.
0: Yeah, that's a bugger.
1: Um, but the American companies, interestingly, because we were at the time also being asked to do uh, pitches for branding jobs in the US as well as the UK. Yep. And they would always give you what we would call sort of pizza money. So, you know, you might get a grand or whatever it was that would only cover your kind of takeaway, yep. but, you know, when you're working 24 seven, but at least it was actually saying, look, we, we're respectful of the process that you're going through and here's a little bit of dough to help you out. Okay. So we got to a point in the end where we just thought, you know, most of the time we're not going to go for this. Yep. But the ABC3 opportunity was just such fun for a start because it was a tween channel. So it was kind of appealing to 12-year-olds, I guess. And we really wanted to go for it.
0: Yeah. So what happened?
1: The end of this story is that we won the business and we worked with them to bring this brand to life. And even now I look back at those days and that work and I just think it's the best work that we ever did as a broadcast design agency. Cool. It also gave me the opportunity to be offered the role at – where do I work, Matt?
0: (laughs) To be offered the role at the ABC?
1: Thank you. Yes, it gave me – so the woman that we were working to at the time was on the cusp of retiring and she took us all to lunch at the end of the project and she sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you think this might be something you'd be interested in doing? And I hadn't literally thought about moving out of Tactic at that time. Okay. But having said that, I had always watched the ABC, always been a fan of the ABC and always sat on the couch saying, I'd love to get my hands on those brands. I'd love to work at the ABC and do something with those brands because I just wanted to sort of get in there and have that opportunity. So it was a very exciting time.
0: Was there any other projects in your career that you thought were particularly satisfying and enjoyable?
1: Another really exciting project that we were given the opportunity to work on at Tactic was pitching for some business in India. We were given, we were asked to pitch alongside uh, three businesses from the UK. Yeah. Yeah to launch a general entertainment channel in India and it was with Turner International and they paid a pitch fee. Yep. And with the pitch fee, we decided as a business that what we were going to do with that money is we were going to send our senior designer to Mumbai. Wow. And m- as much as you can possibly can in a short amount of time, try and immerse him in the environment really and to grab some stills and to grab some reference and to make sure that we were being as culturally you know, on point as we possibly could. And we also paid for an advisor to help us craft our pitch. Yeah. And then we went to India to pitch.
0: That's amazing. You would have been pretty disappointed if you lost.
1: The, the end of that story is, is that we won that job as well. Yeah. And it was a great process and project for us to be involved in in a lot of ways and a great learning experience.
0: How did that project run and what was the end result like?
1: The project was fraught in the end for a whole host of reasons, which I'll say for another podcast, but...
0: Well, I've got I've got plenty of time.
1: Um, look, I, I think the work was solid and I'm still very proud of the work and I'm sure the people who were involved at the time felt that way too. I mean, it's a, it was a beautiful project and they were very happy with it.
0: Do you have that stuff that we can put up online? Sure. Cool. All right. Well, I'll put that stuff up online. That's... Really good. I'd just like to take a quick break, Diana, to thank our sponsors. Okay. We'll be back in under a minute. If you're looking for a fantastic mobile workstation that is designed for the entertainment and creative industries, whether it's for processing complex 3D or 2D workflows in design, multimedia, illustration, animation, cg or visual effects msi's high-end mobile laptops provide one of the best solutions available for creative professionals find out more at msi.com forward slash workstations for over 27 years StormFX has been providing the technology that powers the australian and new zealand creative industries Whether your focus is in animation or VFX, we are experienced in providing the technology insights and the solutions you need to get through your challenges and realise your dreams. All right, Diana, let's get back into it. All righty. Have you had any failures in your career and what did you learn from them?
1: When I started my business, I went into it um, very, very passionately, as you do and you need to do. And I probably didn't have the business savvy that um, years later I wished I did have. So uh, I think you start a business – for all the right reasons, but perhaps not with the view that you're going to sell that business at, at some stage along that journey. Yep. And had I have gone into the business a bit savvier, I probably would have set it up slightly differently so that I could have made some dough out of it really in the end by selling it as opposed to... I mean, I don't think you walk into a business and you keep it going for 12 years with the intent of closing the door and walking away. Yeah. And that's quite a heartbreaking thing to do. And it's still... And it still breaks my heart that that happened and that was the outcome and we certainly had staff at that time that we had to let go and, yep. and nobody wants to do that. So I probably just didn't have my shit together in that that sort of earlier stages of, of really figuring out where the business needed to be, what it needed to do to get there.
0: Yeah, so I closed my business because I wanted to have a better lifestyle yeah. and I was at my busiest time when I closed my business. Yeah, I just couldn't work out in my mind how you could actually sell a creative business when you were the core of the business.
1: That's exactly right. And even after I'd left Tactic and gone to the ABC – I had a fairly serious conversation one day w- with someone about whether, and they were interested in acquiring the business, but only if I went back to the business. Yep. And that was never going to be right for me because I feel like it's difficult to go back in your career. Yeah. And I I felt like I'd kind of gone to a different place by that stage and it just wasn't right to go back.
0: You should do what feels right.
1: Yeah. And so that opportunity fell over straight away. So again, I think it's just a, it's just knowing from the outset, yeah, and not making the business all about you, really. Um,
0: well, I think yeah, I had trouble that myself. Lantas rang and said, "Would like you to do some work with us a month after I closed the business." Oh wow! Because I didn't want to go backwards, I had to say no. So I understand what you're saying with the mm. the backwards step. And and do you think that a business like that could exist now?
1: No. No. is the is the answer to that no look there's not enough work in broadcast design and i think unless you're going to diversify and move into tvc world which was something that we didn't do and it was really unique at the time not to offer that and we were one of only a few companies that that didn't sort of diversify and we stayed very very pure to broadcast work yep and as I said, we had other clients come and go, like it was, you know, record company people, for example, who wanted promo content created. We'd do that sort of work, but we never ventured into television commercial world. But nowadays, there's just not enough broadcast design, you know. Yeah. Back then, people were still crafting really beautiful opening title sequences, for example. Now, it's kind of like if you're creating a show from a broadcast perspective, we just don't want the, the long opening title sequence. We want to get straight into the show.
0: It's making a bit of comeback with the Netflix and the streaming channels, but yeah. It really
1: is. Thank goodness too, because I mean, you know, it's beautiful work and if you get a great opening titles, you can just watch it over and over again. So I'm really glad it is making a bit of a comeback.
0: I remember that period where they started going to 15 seconds and that was pretty much... Yeah. It really was the end, 15 seconds is a small amount of time.
1: It just becomes a logo resolve at that point and then you're straight into the show, you know, so... Yeah,
0: but the free-to-air is they're just trying to keep you on the channel all the time. Yeah. But, yeah, the Netflix and that of... there's There's more highly crafted opening titles coming out from the streaming service now than what there was back then, I think. Yeah. So... I just wanted to say, how did you go about attracting clients?
1: I'm going to say we're in the right place at the right time. It was the time when pay television in this country was really exploding. Yep. And I had a lot of contacts in pay TV because I'd, I'd come from XYZ world. Yep. And I'd retain those contacts. And when you're starting a business and, and you run a business, contacts are really very important. And over the years, actually, that proved to be the case. We put on new business development people over the years and that never led anywhere. And it always came back to who we knew and who we were comfortable working with. I was just fortunate. The timing was really, really good. And there was an explosion of channels and broadcast requirements. Yep. That's how we kind of became successful. But also, we were able to pull in a few retainers. And that was also critical for the early days of setting up the business.
0: Yeah, well, I tried to get retainers going. I got two going. I ended up focusing all my work on servicing those retainers and wasn't focusing on getting new clients.
1: Mm. The business development side of it is really tricky because it's really only you as the business owner that can go and get that business. Okay. We had that period where we put on business development people, but it just, it didn't ever pay off for us. Yeah. It really came down to me generating that business most of the time.
0: That's different to what I experienced. In the end, I had a business development marketing slash salesperson mm. and she helped me get good clients. Mm. Uh, the last two years I had, I took a big step up with her assistance.
1: Mm, maybe I had the wrong <laughs> business development person. <laughs> Possib- which is possible which is possible <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so you were the creative director and owner and at one stage you stepped away how did that affect your business and what was it like having someone else manage your business for you
1: When I finally did leave Tactic to go to the ABC, I put in a really competent creative director to help manage the business. But it was kind of apparent at that time that the broadcast business was changing anyway. A lot of people were insourcing as opposed to what they were doing previously, which was outsourcing. So the whole model was changing and it was just a very tough environment. And our clients started to pull out and that's when we had to make the difficult decision to walk away and close it
0: okay i was running my studio at the time and i was like at the same time and we were competing for work in one sense mm. but i remember reading your closing email yeah and thinking oh my god how do you close a business like that i was feeling the same pressures both family and work i was thinking "Hell, how would i do something like that how did it feel
1: it it was the most heartbreaking time, I'm going to say. It was, you know, there was no easy way out and I loved the business and I'd worked so hard for to build the business. So um, closing it just wasn't what I had in mind. Yep. I don't really know what I had in mind for it, but it certainly wasn't closing the door and putting off staff. So it was um, a very difficult time. Plus I had just joined the ABC, so I was also trying to get my head around quite a complex, large organisation having come from a very, very small business.
0: Yeah, What's some of the differences between a giant corporation like the ABC and a small business?
1: You know, at Tactic, you'd make a decision at 10 and you'd execute it by sort of 11.30. Yeah. At the ABC, you kind of make a decision and and things take a very long time to actually action. So, I had a lot to learn at the ABC when I first went in there and I had to give it my full and undivided attention. Yep. It didn't make it easier, but I just had to get on and and do this other thing that I'd already committed to. But it was heartbreaking. It was really a very difficult time.
0: I sort of felt sort of numb for about a month or two afterwards. Mm. Yeah. And then after that, I started feeling really good about my decision. Yeah. So any advice to people who would like to downsize or close their studio on maybe things that you didn't do correctly or you, you would do better if you did it again?
1: There were other businesses closing at the time and I think they didn't do it particularly well. There's no nice way to do it, but I think the only thing you can try and do is is be fair to the team and kind of be as transparent as you can possibly be. Yeah. And that's what we tried to do.
3: Yeah.
1: It's not easy though.
0: In retrospect, I should have passed the work on to some of my freelance workers. Mm, that's
1: that's a good good thing to do
0: i wasn't going to lose anything from that uh but in Mm. retrospect i should have done that hindsight eh? (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah you seem to really work hard throughout your career yeah i imagine you would have took a lot of time off work when you had children
1: I didn't really step away for very long, Matthew. I, um, in fact, many people tell the famous story of uh, I was still emailing while I was in labour, so I had my babies and I kind of went straight back to work afterwards. Um, so I worked throughout that period, but because I owned the business, I had that flexibility of taking babies with me and all that sort of stuff in in doing that.
0: That's great that you had the flexibility. Uh, I remember the first one; I uh, went back to work straight away, but. On the second one, I took three months off, which was really cool. Mm. So, what's the hardest thing you had to learn to progress your career?
1: I've had to change the way I operate personally and probably in the earlier days, I was a little bit harder uh, to work with. I think that's fair to say. Most of my team who are still with me from the early days, a lot of my excellent uh, executive team have stayed with me, thankfully. Cool. Cool. So I've had to change very much over those years and not be so tough on people, I guess, you know. Um.
0: Yep. I think that's a good answer. I think that management is like really hard, especially for people who are also creative-minded. I haven't met a manager yet who hasn't been slightly disappointed or changed the way that they manage to be more people-focused.
1: I guess what I've tried to create at ABC Made is a fairly flat structure where everyone's pretty comfortable um, having conversations with anyone. So just really taking out that hierarchical structure and just ensuring that we all kind of get on as a creative team is really important. Yep. And that's pretty different to how I used to operate. Um, I think running a very small business – the expectation is that everyone's going to work, and particularly if it's your own business, everyone's going to work as hard as you. And it took me years and years and years to figure out that actually it's your business and it's your business for a reason and you can't actually uh, impose those expectations on other people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I've chilled out a lot over the years really and um, and I don't want to work that way anymore. I want people to feel really good about coming to work and I want people to feel relaxed and happy to be doing their best work.
0: That's good advice, but I also understand having a small business and having projects and limited capacity, mm. w- why you're under pressure to get things done. And I suppose where I tried to cap myself in that sense is that this didn't work great, but basically they finished at a certain time, six thirty, seven thirty, five thirty. They It was locked off. And then when I had freelancers, that just worked well. I always knew that if, if push come to shove, they might stay back, but generally I always... I took up the slack myself.
1: It's really hard... You know, with a small business, because you can't just throw money at the problem. You're right. You have to just keep. If everyone's bailing out at five o'clock or whatever, and and it's your business, you're the one that's there till you know one, two, three in the morning.
0: And, and in the end, that's why I closed my
3: business.
1: Yeah, exactly. When you when you start to have kids, I mean, that becomes kind of a very difficult um, thing to to maintain. Yeah. But I but I will say, I mean, in the early days of tactic, I had a really good team, and that a lot of those people are still working with me today. So they were 100% committed as well. It was just trying to find other people who, who were as committed as we were.
0: You must be a reasonable boss if the people are still with you.
1: As I said, my executive team who worked for me at the ABC have all worked for me in a previous life at Tactic. And I just feel now every sort of big decision that I make now, I always try and include them in that decision-making process because I just feel like whatever decision I make is going to impact them yep. and I really trust and value their input and, you know, we've, we've, we're mates, that's the other thing, but we have a comfortable distance as well, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So now I'd like to talk about project management. What are your main methods to successfully manage multiple projects at once?
1: have a bloody good producer really we've got a really great team of producers at abc made and you know they're critical to any business and any project the key thing is just making sure you've got the right team aligned to the project right from the beginning
0: so if you're a small business and you you've only got one producer and yourself Mm. any advice for them on doing multiple projects at once
1: From a design point of view, the way I like to work and my team like to work is that we have daily check-ins. So we just kind of talk about the projects that they're working on at the time, just check everyone's on the same page. And, you know, I think that's really, really important.
3: Okay.
0: What's your day-to-day like at ABC Made? And could you tell us a little bit about your department and how it all works?
1: I actually started at the ABC as head of marketing for the ABC, so working to the marketing team. And I was able to sort of negotiate at that time to take on all the design and promo team within that marketing role. And that was kind of the criteria for me in going into that marketing role is that I, I kept all the creative. Yep. And then over the years at the ABC, I was able to propose ABC Made as an in-house agency model because more and more we were doing work across the business as opposed to just the broadcast work. We were also doing radio work and work for our commercial partners, et cetera. So yep. we set up Made to service the whole of ABC in terms of our creative requirements.
0: Cool. So what's your size and shape like?
1: There's about 55 in the team now. We're mainly in Sydney, but we've also got people all around the country and they tend to be the radio promo team that are based in radio stations around the country. Yep. So it's a mixed discipline, like broadcast, print, motion designers, production people, promo producers, yeah.
0: So you're basically doing the design for the ABC for all their different platforms and uh, marketing
1: yeah, so branding, design, marketing assets, that sort of thing. We don't touch anything in the shows themselves, yep. but we kind of also do the tone of voice for channels and create all the bits and pieces for, that doesn't sound very good, does it? Bits and pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Create all the branding assets for all of our channels and products and services. Cool. All right. Mm. I now
0: want to talk about selling your ideas. This can be to another colleague or to uh, like senior executive. Yeah. So what do you think are the most important methods when you're presenting and selling your ideas?
1: I think it's important to acknowledge that it's never going to be a one size fits all. Yeah. It's uh, really about knowing the people that you're trying to sell to. So prepare, 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 of course. Yep. But I have to say, I still find this stuff slightly tough because if you show work that's um, very much at its infancy, a lot of people can't really visualise where you want to take that work and they get quite nervous. But the flip side is if you show work that's too developed, there tends to be a nervousness around not taking people on that journey. So it's really about finding that middle ground and knowing who it is that you're pitching to and whether or not they can visualise, whether or not they're going to to not be able to do that and then sort of really understanding that and crafting your presentation accordingly.
0: Do you think that images sell ideas better or do you think that verbal or written, which area do you think is the most important?
1: Imagery is always really critical to getting the idea across. You know, the way I would tend to work is to get style frames And that way you can quite comfortably say to people, this isn't really how it's going to look. This is just an indication of the tone or look and feel generally. Imagery is really important.
0: How do you usually sell the idea verbally? What do you think are the important things in communicating your ideas?
1: I think it's pretty important to be flexible and again, know who your stakeholder is or who you're selling to. Yeah. You know, if I'm 100% behind the idea and I know that it's a really great idea, then I'll fight for that idea. If I'm a bit wobbly, then I'm happier to sort of abandon it and move on. Yeah. But if, for example, we're trying to get an idea across and an actor's involved from a show, for example, so it might be that we're going to shoot a promo or we're going to shoot a piece of key art with that person – It's really critical that you get them engaged on board, loving the idea before you get to the shoot date, because if they're not kind of loving it, you're not going to get the performance you need. And there's nothing worse than having a grumpy kind of actor who doesn't want to do what you kind of need them to do. You just have to be pretty flexible when you're trying to get your ideas across.
0: When it comes to design, if you've got like a really if you've got a really great design that you think spot on for the brand and spot on for the marketing, and you get a bit of resistance, how do you try and convince them that it's the right fit for their brand?
1: I think the role of Creative Director is to try and look at things a bit more holistically. And I think the challenge is that you often get briefs where people are only looking at their whether it's a 30-second spot or it's a piece of key art or it's a, you know, book design if we're working with our commercial partners, for example. Yep. My role is to really look at how that fits into the whole portfolio that we own and we have and to make sure that it kind of all adds up to an ABC experience. Yeah. So there is sometimes a bit of a conflict there because um, other people aren't thinking about that. And my role is to try and sort of suggest this is how it has to fit within the bigger picture yep. so it's really around having those conversations with people and that's something that we do every day at the I, ABC by the I, way.
0: I remember those conversations when I was doing the ABC Paralympics. Oh yeah. Do you remember <laughs> coming in on that phone call and saying we weren't fitting the uh. overall brand correctly?
1: Oh okay did I? Oh gosh sorry. And um, uh,
0: you, you wanted it more edgy and I, I like I rang the illustrator and said more edgy and he said excellent.
2: Uh, (laughs) Well,
1: that's a good brief to get, right? (laughs) It's a bit of a daggy word these days. But, yeah, I mean, we spend a lot of time sort of establishing the brands and what we need to do is make sure that the content that feeds those brands – are somewhat aligned to that brand
0: well i think that in the end i think you left us at that period and then we went back to the people who were managing the project under you mm-hmm. and we ended up pulling it back some from where we ended up going yeah but in the end it made it fit the brand better but it also made it more edgy as well so the revisions generally revisions improve things and and those revisions did improve the end product which was really good
1: I don't think you always get that right either. Sometimes you can go through that process and make the revisions and then you think, oh, actually, we need to kind of go back a little way here, you know, and meet somewhere in the middle. So I think, again, it's just about being flexible.
0: So that project was a bit of a committee discussion. We had multiple stakeholders. When you're going to a committee or a group of people who are stakeholders, mm-hmm. how do you try and get across a good idea and keep them going forward? What are the methods that you use? to sell ideas to groups of people.
1: Creative is really challenging. It's like putting a piñata up and asking everyone to have a whack at it and what inevitably happens is it'll it'll start to fall apart. The the more people who whack at it, it'll kind of, you know, the piñata will break. Yeah. It is my role to some extent to try and keep people on track and everybody does want to say and particularly when you work in this world, there's a lot of passion involved.
2: Yeah.
1: If someone's crafted a project might have taken them five years to create a piece of content, for example. They're very invested in that content and you need to sort of make sure that they that you're not just closing down that conversation because that's never going to work for anyone. So it's about taking it on board but trying to make it work with what we need to get out of it as well. Yeah, It's not an easy process but, again, if you've got that idea of where you need to get to, then you just sort of try and navigate as best as possible to get to that. And I don't think I've got the answers and how to do that properly. Every, Every situation's a different one.
0: It's not just you, it's at agencies now and they do revisions. Like revisions are often done now by email with the agency, the brand, all sending you emails.
1: Yeah, I really have a problem with that. I feel like it undermines the craft in many ways. I always prefer to have, if there's feedback coming, it'd be really great to talk about that feedback. Yeah. And if possible to make sure that whoever's giving that feedback is sitting with the person who's cutting the promo or doing the design or whatever it is. So yeah, just sort of that feedback by committee by email is really too harsh.
0: Yeah, well, it's also a nightmare for sound engineers and people like that, because the old days you'd get them all in, they'd all sit there and the decision would be made and the project would end. Mm -hmm. So it tends to drag projects on as well. Yeah. When it comes to being a creative director and a leadership person, what are the most important qualities that a creative director needs to have?
1: You have to personally be into media in a big way, so you have to sort of understand what people are responding to and what's happening in popular culture and emotional intelligence is really important. Yeah. And um, there's this great kind of ongoing dialogue around art versus science or gut versus data.
2: Yeah.
1: As a a creative director you have to have a really a fair share of both of those things in order to actually craft messages that people are going to respond to in an emotional way. That to me kind of makes you stand apart I suppose from being a senior creative to being a creative director where you can really have an understanding of what moves people.
0: Cool. What are the most important tasks for a creative director to delegate to others?
1: Over the years, I I kind of feel like I've learnt what I'm really good at and what I'm not really good at. Okay. It took me a long time to admit what I wasn't good at, but now I just say straight up, I don't do money, I don't do schedules, I don't produce, I'm not really good with that side of, of our world and there are people who do it really, really well. Yeah. I think for me it is about sort of delegating all of those things that I'm pretty shit at, let's be honest, um, yep. <laughs> and giving it to people who are really good at it. Yeah. Um, but that took me a long time to figure out because I kind of, you know, uh, my tendency is always to control stuff and kind of do it myself and, you know, jump in and write everything. And, and you know, there's people out there that write better than I write. And I think it's just around acknowledging that yeah. and making sure people come in to the mix really early is important.
0: So what you're trying to say is find your weaknesses and the things that you're not great at and get others to do that.
1: Well, admit your weaknesses, you know, don't try and hide it. Just kind of own it and just say, look, I'm shit at that and these people do that better and focus on what you are really good at. Yeah. You know, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer, but it does take a little while to figure that stuff out.
0: When uh, it comes to dealing with your senior staff, What are the methods that you use to motivate them and keep them on track to do their best work?
1: One of the things about running a creative team at the ABC is that we have such a large and diverse workflow that comes in. So we're always doing different stuff. So any one day you could be doing like a really big brand project or you could be pumping out an MREC, for example. It's really broad in terms of what we do. And I think that creates interest and it certainly does for me and every day is different and I think that's important and that's exciting and that makes the ABC exciting and for me personally I could never go back to working for you know one brand or I'm very much interested in larger portfolios where you just get that opportunity to work across a whole pile of stuff and complex stuff yeah that kind of keeps the team motivated and engaged as well.
0: As a creative director what are one of the methods that you use to keep quality consistent and to a high level?
1: I pretty much approach every project as though it's the biggest project I'm ever going to work on. And that's kind of how I think about things. So if I'm doing a a small project, I take it really, really seriously, just as I would if I'm doing a really big project. Yeah, And I think that's something that's a bit of a hangover from running your own business where every piece of business that comes in the door needs to be a priority piece of business. And I certainly treat the way I work now the same way. So even if it's a really small job, I just make sure that we are always kind of running an eye over it to make sure that it's the best designed job that we can possibly make it.
0: Cool. Could you tell us about one of the projects that you've done at the ABC?
1: We've just launched ABC Kids, which was a beautiful project. So for us, it was working with children at 2D animation, matte painting, originally composed music tracks and preschool brand. Okay. And it's a brand that's been around for a really long time. So lots and lots of people love the brand. And any time we change things at the ABC, people get a bit nervous. So we're very cautious and in terms of how we approach any change. Okay. Um, So it's a very, very big project. Yep. Really proud of the work. It's really beautiful and the team have done a great job in bringing it together.
0: Is that the one with the carrot or is that a different one?
1: (laughs) That's the carrot. Well, the carrot's died now. So we looked at the three characters, the A, B and C, so apple, B, carrot, that have been around for a really long time and just kind of started to ask the question, why is there a carrot there? It sounds like it's a, you know, a grown-up asking a kid to sort of eat properly. Is yeah. there an opportunity to kind of evolve that character into something that's going to give us a little bit more personality than a carrot? So we went through this really long design process of figuring out whether it should be a cockatoo, should it be ah. a, you know, all sorts of things we tried, all sorts of different characters we tried in the in the process and Yep the apple became an ant at one point. And anyway, we ended up landing on Applebee and Crocodile and Crocodile is an Indigenous crocodile and we've given them all voices, which is really sweet. So we've casted and given them all their own voice.
0: Who was the voice talent?
1: An Indigenous boy in Darwin and he actually comes from um, the Crocodile people. So we have a really lovely backstory there that we'll kind of get around to publicising at some stage. It's a
0: cool story. How did this project go in its production?
1: It's been a really full-on, beautiful project to be involved with and the team have really loved it. In fact, one of the animators who's been working on it, yeah, I was just saying the other day, I've never seen an animator actually dance as he's kind of animating, but he's kind of dancing every time he moves one of our characters, which I think is really sweet. So That's cool. And our other lead designer who's been working on it, he said it's the most fun he's had at work ever. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you really love and, and you want your team to be involved with.
0: Excellent. So that was Brian Neung San and David Sindal. Yeah. Those two guys were chatting at the Melbourne Sydney networking night. Mm. Did they meet for the first time at that event?
1: Yeah. So, we sent David Sindel, our lead designer, down to your networking night and yes, he met the animator that we worked with. Um, Did that
0: lead to you guys getting him on board?
1: I think we actually engaged Brian before then, but we wanted to get David down there to meet him. Yep. It was really great that they could put a a face to the name and get to know each other before they started working on such a significant project together. Cool. He had a great time, by the way. So, thank you for the networking night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is
0: there anything that you're enjoying at the moment?
1: I've really loved the creativity that has come out of this time. Yeah. So, you know, TikTok is just <laughs> it's brilliant at the moment. There's so much good stuff on TikTok. <laughs> uh,
0: TikTok is pretty cool. Uh, I'm in around work.
1: <laughs> Our work has shifted and we've moved to creating campaigns that are a lot softer, I suppose. And we're doing a campaign at the moment to sort of highlight the positives and the creativity that is happening. And so we're sort of amassing all of this media around that. So it's been really nice to look at that.
0: Cool. Well, it's great to hear that you're doing something positive for the community. I think that's a great place to leave it. Thanks very much for taking the time to come in and chat with us. I've really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks, Matt. It's been really enjoyable.
0: Thanks very much for listening. If you like this podcast, it would be fantastic if you could go to iTunes and give us a positive review. It helps other people find us. You can check us out at mastersofmotion.com.au where you can see all the work that we talked about today and lots more outstanding motion design work. Or you can come find Matthew Packwood on Facebook where I post everything you need to know about Masters of Motion. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you have a great week.